So hey there, everybody. Josh Cantwell here, your host at Accelerated Investor. I am uh, really excited today to be back with you. And today we're going to talk really high macroeconomics and what's going on in the marketplace. Um, I've asked my good friend and a very regular contributor to the podcast uh, to join us. His name is Darren Bloomquist. He is essentially the in-house economist for auction.com. Darren works with all of their reporting. Not only is auction.com a platform that you can go buy properties on, but you have to think auction really has two types of clients. They have the institutional investor that's listing and selling their auction properties, a lot of foreclosure properties on their platform. And then they, of course, they have the buyers, a lot of residential retail buyers, investor buyers. Uh, but Darren heads up essentially all of their data, everything that hits the news and everything that comes out of their market research department. So Darren, thanks for carving out a few minutes for us to help us yeah. you know, and, and our audience educate on what's going on in the marketplace. Thanks for being here. Yes. Thanks for having me, Josh. Always good to, to chat and get your perspective too. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for all. I see the stuff you're tagging me on on LinkedIn and I've tried to share and tag you on those types of things on LinkedIn and Facebook. So listen, today, guys, we're going to cover the increasing risk of recession. Uh, we'll talk about the housing market and the correction that's starting to materialize and also this shift in distressed demand trends. So Darren, let, let's talk about this recession. Uh, you know, recessions are part of a normal economic cycle, but our economy really since really 2000, if you think about when the stock market burst, the, the tech bubble burst, kind of been anything but a normal psych cycle, uh, 2001, 2008, and then of course, the long bull run we had and then COVID. And then now obviously this rising interest rate environment, rising inflationary environment. So let's just talk for a quick second about this rising recession risk. What are some of the what's some of the information and the market research that you guys have done? What are some high level things that we need to know based on the data that you guys have aggregated together? Sure, this is uh, data from the New York Federal Reserve, and it's using the most tried and true recession indicator <laughs> over time. As and you can see it here in the in the graph is is basically the the yield curve. And they're specifically looking at the the difference between the ten year Treasury yield and the the three month Treasury yield, and then they turn that into a, a basically when that goes negative, inverts that usually flags a recession, but they turn it into a percentage likelihood of of a recession, and as that spikes to about twenty five to forty percent, you typically see a recession. Following that, and almost every recession you can see going back, which is the gray bars there. If you're viewing this, this goes back to all the way to 1960, and there have been several recessions, obviously since then. But this indicator actually spiked before the very short recession we had during the pandemic. Even, but before, you know, this was 12 months in advance. So this this recession indicator spiked back in 2019 indicating that in 2020, there'd be a recession. And that was long before COVID really became a, an issue. So it was it was prescient there, even without really taking into account the strangeness of, of that recession. So, and, but again, now we're seeing for August, 2023. So it's, it's it, the latest data is from August, 2022, predicting out to August, 2023, there's a 25% chance of a recession in August 2023, according to this indicator, which has been highly reliable. And so 
uh, and you're seeing more and more <laughs> uh, economists and others starting to jump on the, the recession bandwagon uh, for 2023. And, and so, you know, we, we look at a lot of other forecasts and, you know, 12 months ago, six months ago, even, it was tough to find an economist who said there was going to be a recession in uh, in 2023, but we are seeing more and more of that. And, and this indicator, I think, cutting through the noise of all the different forecasts that are out there, this indicator is the best one to to tell us that there is a recession coming. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, Darren, from your perspective and some of the data that you look at, you know, recessions are defined right by two successive quarters of negative GDP growth. And if we look at some of the content that's come out of the White House or out of the Federal Reserve, they say that we're not in a recession, even though the last two quarters of GDP growth are already negative because the unemployment rate is so low still, you know, hovering around three and a half to four percent. You know, housing prices up until very recently were still moving up. You had a lot of positive economic news from consumption. And now all of a sudden, it seems like there's a whole bunch of different moons or worlds that are colliding from war in Ukraine, energy crisis, cost of energy, higher cost of everything, including food, gas, cars, houses. We have an affordability issue with living standards. There's not a lot of that is positive other than it just still feels like people are flush with cash. People mm-hmm. still have a lot of money in their savings, which seems like anti-recession talk. There, yeah, there's debate about whether this is the the two consecutive quarters, as you mentioned, of negative GDP growth is actually a recession, which seems like, well, you can't really change the definition. But <laughs> right. at the same time, I can see the point because it doesn't feel like a recession because we are still coming off the sugar high of all the stimulus. The stimulus put a lot of money in people's pockets that still hasn't been burned through quite yet. And I think that's what's helping. And then if you look at the GDP numbers, what's really driving the negative GDP growth is the residential fixed investment. And so it's it actually is the housing side of things that's dri- driving the most of the negative GDP growth. And so we'll I think we'll see that we're in a recession or not for real now. We'll see more of a typical recession next year mm-hmm. where you do see unemployment rising and some of the other sectors of the GDP measurement going down as well, not just the housing piece of it. So you're saying that the one of the drivers of negative GDP growth is actually things around housing, meaning construction, new building, material sales, labor, because of the rising interest rates. It sounds like you're saying that you know developers have pulled back on some of their development plans Houses are not selling as fast and as easy as high of prices. People are maybe not improving their homes who are living in them as much as they used to. It sounds like that is all pulled back already. And that's part of the driver into negative GDP growth. Did I get that right? Yeah, you got that right. And I think we have the next slide does show it's a great slide from Zelman Housing Research that they're actually pretty bearish on the, more than other economists out there. Uh, but they their point is during the last recession leading into the last big recession 2008 and they're not saying and i'm not saying that what we're going to see next year is going to be like that exactly in any way but their point is that the ho- housing is 
is often leading the economy. Mm-hmm. And so their point here is that they, they have a housing demand uh, proprietary measure, which is the line there. And it's peaked basically in late 2005. You didn't see job loss. Uh, the first sequential decline in non-farm payrolls there is about the first quarter of 2008. So over two years, almost three years later, before you saw that job loss. And so, yeah, the point simply being that housing is often a leading indicator. And of course, people would argue that last time housing was a leading indicator because that's what <laughs> that was the house of cards or the, the first domino to fall because of the, situ- the unique situations with the, the mortgage industry, mortgage products last time, but um, they have, they actually went back in another slide and showed that in previous recessions as well, that housing p- component of the GDP typically fell first before the other components of the GDP went negative. Mm. And so it is, housing is often a, a, actually a leading indicator. The other piece of all this, and you've referenced it a couple of times, that gives me, uh, you know, maybe confidence isn't the right word, but more certainty that there will be a recession next year is that the Fed is highly committed to to bringing down inflation, and they're even willing to sacrifice, you know, basically a recession in in order to fight that inflation. They see inflation as the bigger issue, uh, and I I would agree with that. But that that also gives me certainty that <laughs> we're going to. Uh, very likely see a recession next year. No doubt. I look at this slide, and this is going back to 2005. And again, if you're on you know, Spotify or you're on iTunes and you're just catching the audio version of this, definitely check this out on YouTube or anywhere you get your videos because there'll be, there'll be a video portion of this. But what's interesting is it looks like around the third quarter of 2005, the seasonally adjusted peak in unit demand for housing hit its peak. I think we all know that we hit our peak for housing demand during this bull run uh, about six months ago, uh, maybe three months ago. We absolutely hit the peak as interest rates started to push up. The Federal Reserve started pushing rates around February of 2022. And when I look at apartment buildings, me and the brokers that I work with, we all feel like the peak of the, the apartment market where people were paying the most. There was multiple offers over asking price. There was basically bidding wars for apartment buildings. That was in August of 2021. It was actually over a year ago. And that was when you could list a house or list an apartment building, I should say. And there was a whisper price from a broker. And the broker would say, this is what we think it'll trade for, but it will trade for market price. But we think it's going to sell for about X, call it 20 million. And all of a sudden, back in August of 2021, the property would sell for 21 million, 22 million, 24 million. There was multiple offers over ask. Same thing with residential housing. Although that kept going for a few months, maybe six months thereafter, from August 21 until early part of 2022, but it definitely has peaked. So that's one indicator that matches from what you're seeing on the screen to now. The second one, Darren, is the two-year tenure treasury yield inversion. That happened in essentially Q4 of 2005. That's also now happened in this economy. That happened, Darren, I can't remember when, was about a year ago, correct? Yeah, yeah, that one. And it's actually, that's a, a slightly separate yield curve than the first slide we showed. But yes, that actually has inverted 
whereas the um, the three month versus ten year has not yet inverted. But yeah. yeah, yeah. Now you're seeing some of the coastal what we call boom bust markets um, are actually seeing a decline in existing home prices. I know you were going to cover that, Darren, on another slide at a different time, but you're starting to see the stuff along the coastlines, California, Vegas, the traditional boom markets, Arizona, Florida, some of those, New York, New Jersey, where prices are actually, they're not crashing, but they're coming down uh, by upwards of 8 to 10% year over year. So that now is a significant duplicate event that happened 15 years ago in 2005. And it's happened now again in 2022. So now we're going to start to see, as Darren mentioned, might be two or three years from last summer. If we consider last late last summer, the peak might be in 2024 that you see where there's a significant decline in payrolls where the unemployment rate is going up substantially. Okay. And if you're looking at all this as a leading indicator and you're saying, okay, well, where's the stock market going to go? Right. Well, the stock market, if it was following housing, it was really three years after the seasonally adjusted peak in housing demand when the S&P 500 finally troughed out. So a lot of people are saying, well, is the, is the S&P 500 at its bottom? Well, if, 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 if a lot of these factors will probably mirror each other, I'm not sure exactly if they will. Nobody knows for sure, but some of it will. And if that's the case, it's hard to believe that the S&P 500 doesn't have some room to continue to go down based on where we're at, especially again, like you said, Darren, with all of the uh, stimulus money that still hasn't been spent, companies that are producing profits. Once people start losing their jobs, those profits will go down and the stimulus money will run out. Then those stock market prices will continue to drop. So those are some of the connections that you're already starting to see here. Yep. Yeah, I would agree with with all of that. Yeah, Matt, I was just looking up that 10-year... Uh, treasury minus a two-year, that it went negative slightly in uh, April of this year, and then it's bit, but it's basically since early July, it's now been inverted. So that's that piece there near the beginning of 2006 in this scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, yeah, things are uh, you know as they say, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. So you know, I wouldn't expect the pattern to look exactly like this, but I would expect some of these these things to parallel uh, what we saw back in 2006. I think the difference will be right. That housing, uh, even apartment buildings, like what I invest in and that those prices stagnating or going down. The good news is, is that the banks are really healthy and the banks can still continue to lend. If you remember in 2007, eight, nine, the banks literally had no liquidity. So they just could not lend period. So the restrictions got so tough where people had to have income assets, you know, multiple years on a job, no evictions, no foreclosures, all these different types of things it was very hard to get a loan. They made the restrictions very difficult. Uh, right now, you're seeing banks still want to lend. They still want to put money on the street. It's just at a much higher rate. And the question now becomes just like in 2007, 8, 9, people were starting to lose their houses because of adjustable rate mortgages and they couldn't afford them. Now the question will be, well, prices have to come down because as you know, Darren, the banks have uh, a ratio, right? It's usually around 40 to 42% of your income that can go towards debt, right? Your debt to income ratio. Well, if the cost of your debt is significantly higher, then you're going to hit that threshold much faster, which yeah. means you can only afford 
a maximum amount of home that will force prices down because demand will be down, right? Then it's like, okay, well, how fast do those prices come down? And does it affect anybody who wants to give up on their home because now they're over leveraged, right? In 2007, 8, 9, people were just basically giving up on their houses, turning them back into banks, giving, in the, uh, giving away the keys because they had no equity left. And it's tough to tell somebody, hey, you have to keep your house if there's no equity in it, right? It's tough. So we'll see right. what happens here over the next couple of years. But yeah, I, I, this is this leading indicator is a really cool thing to look at, especially you know being a housing geek <laughs> like we both are. <laughs> uh, I, I like to look at that as an indicator for sure. Anything else on this slide we should take a look at before we move on? Well, just yeah, I mean you're starting to see some changes. Fannie Mae just came out with a forecast uh, this week, I believe, earlier this week, where they first of all they they changed their forecast from the month earlier from home prices going up four percent in 2023 to now going down at one and a half percent in 2023. That's nationwide. And they also then upped their unemployment here to getting close to uh, 6% in 2023. And so that unemployment piece is, as you kind of referenced earlier, that's a foundational piece around the distress market that we specifically look at. And, And if you have that combination of higher unemployment and falling home prices, that is that situation where things can shift pretty quickly. People have a lot of equity in their homes right now, and they're able to make their mortgage payment because they're, they have a job. But if you see that shift the other direction, I think people might be surprised, especially in certain markets, how quickly that calculus can, can change where uh, homeowners fall below that equity line mm-hmm. and also don't have they they basically have the two triggers for falling into foreclosure which are uh, loss of income and then uh, loss of asset value mm. yeah that that that's an interesting where people will give up on a property and let it go to foreclosure right and I think there is a big difference a lot of the mortgage progress there's not a lot of the adjustable rate mortgages where people are going to experience payment shock or negative amortizing loans which was common leading to the last, helping to create the last housing bubble. We don't have those. And so you don't, that's another element of another trigger that we don't have this time that I think will think keep things more under control. But you do have two major triggers, potentially, if that Fannie Mae forecast is correct. And we see that combination of rising unemployment and falling home prices. Are you ready to automate and explode your real estate investing? We're searching for extremely motivated individuals who are sick and tired of wasting time and want to finally see real results from their real estate investing business. We're searching for investors looking to get to the next level and become a bigger, better version of themselves while being a more successful real estate investing entrepreneur. Apply for mentoring and coaching at joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. That's joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. John, what do you what do you make of the fact that regardless of people's incomes, like whether they are employed or unemployed, whether rates are higher or lower, we still, as of the last time you and I recorded, we were still millions of units short to satisfy all the demand in this country for affordable housing. People needed homes built. The builders needed to build in order to just satisfy the demand for housing. People still have to have somewhere to live, 
And, you know, people were forced into apartments because the single family home market got so expensive. So the fact that there still is an affordability issue, these prices you think would come down, but we're still short on just the total number of units we need just to house everybody. Yeah. I mean, uh, the consensus is that we do have a housing shortage. And I would I would say there's a lot of data to support that. Actually, Zellman here would argue that we we are moving into a decade, this decade, where we're actually um, going to have a quickly shift to an oversupply of housing. But that's a whole nother argument that maybe we don't want to get into. But generally speaking, if you, if you take the consensus, yes, we do have a undersupply of, of housing. And that w- that's also going to be kind of a floor for the housing market. To get there, you do have to have that affordability component which at this point, the only thing that's going to help that affordability compo- component is lowering the prices mm-hmm. uh, or prices coming down and to make housing more uh, more affordable. Mm-hmm. And so I think something's got to give and the Fed's kind of forcing the issue with the rising interest rates. So you have that floor, but there is, I think, a little bit of a reckoning in terms of what we were experiencing during the last two years was a little bit of a fantasy land <laughs> that ah. cannot continue. We have to get, we have to come back down to earth. And as long as the market can come down back down to earth, hopefully it's a soft landing, yeah. but there's going to be some price adjustments that would be actually, I think the best scenario to then get that supply and demand more in line yeah. with each other. It's amazing to me that so many of these boom bust scenarios, the 2008-9, obviously the one we're in now, primarily just caused by, in a lot of ways, the Federal Reserve and their ability and desire to keep interest rates low and money flowing too much, right? So if they had raised rates going back a couple of slides, if they had started to raise rates in 2016, 2017, you know, Trump's in office, the economy's pretty good, gas rates are really good, gas prices are really low, but they still kept the Fed funds rate at all damn near zero. Uh, yeah, they for- did. I mean, they tried a couple of times. They tried, there was the, back in 20, as early as 2013, they tried to start raising rates. There was the, and uh, there was the taper tantrum. <laughs> they were tapering uh, also the quantitative easing and the market reacted kind of violently. And then again, in 2018, 2019, they started raising rate the federal funds rate again, and the housing market actually re- really slowed down. It, I would argue if, if you, we didn't have the pandemic hit us, the housing market would have entered into a slowdown cycle, even basically at the, uh, 2019, 2020 already. But then we just had this, this crazy event happen. Yeah, but, yeah. exactly. So we're probably a little bit more volatile three years past where we should have been and a lot more volatility because of COVID exacerbating the problem with affordability, availability, and the cheapness of debt to be able to, to, and obviously the free money that they they handed out. So let's talk, Darren, as we kind of wrap up for today, home price appreciation, right? And home price appreciation growing, 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 going crazy from really uh, right after COVID we realized that everybody wasn't going to die. It was obviously still a big thing in the summer of 2020. But once people started coming out of their homes and started coming away from the lockdowns, 
And then people started getting out and seeing houses, but there was a lot less houses to buy, a lot less supply. And so prices just absolutely skyrocketed in the second half of 2020. And the first, you know, or pretty much most of 2021, they're still appreciating, but at a much slower rate and pace. So talk to us about that, about what did we see and what do we anticipate things happening going forward? Yeah, we saw a peak of 24% home price appreciation back in May 2021. And now we're down to 8%. Uh, so in in August of 2022, and this is according to Adam Data Solutions data. So we're seeing that slowdown that sh- that is expected given the Fed's actions. And actually, if you you know, if you look at that, this is really actually a very encouraging graph. You might think, hey, we're we're heading in for a soft landing. The 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 issue is, you know, can you really <laughs> guide that plane in and and not uh, hit the ground hard uh, at this this rapid rate of decelerating home price appreciation? But so far, the Fed's actions are having, I think, the desired effect on this home price appreciation that was unsustainable, and we're down to that eight percent. I think on the next slide, then you start looking at okay, what's what's it look at a market level where it actually becomes a little bit more interesting. And this is data from Zillow. They forecast out 12 months at the uh, at uh, the metro level and actually also the zip code level, but this is the metro level. And I would say they're pretty conservative in their forecast, but they're, they're forecasting out of 896 metro areas that they look at, 271 are going to see price declines year over year by by next year, next August, actually next September, sorry. And so that's basically 30% of the markets. And if you, there's a map here that we're looking at and maybe not all of you can see, but there's red, whereas that represents the metro areas that are going to see a decline. And what sticks out to me is there's a lot of red on the California coast. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, there's actually quite a bit of red in parts of the, the Northeast around, uh, New York, New Jersey, uh, New York, uh, New Jersey. Yep, and then kind of see some red. You see some red down in running through, kind of the middle of the country as well. Illinois sticks out for sure, and then also actually Louisiana mm-hmm. uh, as well. So, and then there's there's scattered red throughout uh, other parts of the country as well. But yeah, I mean, I think if you take the coastal California. New York, New Jersey, and then Illinois, those are three areas that have lost a lot of um, population. Even the decade before the pandemic, they were losing population, or at least domestic migration-wise, and, and that accelerated during the pandemic. And so that's uh, that ties into the demographic piece. And, and so those markets are more susceptible because of the, the weakening demand in those markets. I also think some of the some of the so-called um, Zoom towns, areas where people fled to, are a little bit at risk too. Not, not necessarily be, they have the demographics going for them, but they just got out of control because of that kind of gold rush mentality sure. in those markets. We've got to buy a property now in a, in places like Boise and what are some others uh, that Boise sticks out, and um, but there are other markets like that where There's people are rushing to. Parts of Nevada, New Mexico, where a lot of people from California fled. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like Houston um, has some red down in the very south part of Texas. Um, again, you have uh, oil drilling is down, oil production's down. You have a 
a White House that's not an administration that's not as you know, kind of pro-local oil production, natural gas production. And then same thing with Louisiana, that's obviously going to be affected by oil production as well. But the people that fled California, the challenge there is you have really, in my opinion, you have a kind of a two or three-headed monster that'll force those values down. One is, in fact, the prices were so high, they were unsustainable. Number two, the cost of interest rates going up is naturally going to force demand down. And three, you have uh, population migration out of California, out of New York, out of Boston, out of Chicago, and out of you know Louisiana, and people moving to other areas and states that were much more open COVID-wise to the lockdowns and move people out. So you have kind of a three-headed monster forcing less demand. And so as to see decreasing home values. And again, we're not talking about decreasing. Guys, listen, remember... Darren and I were talking. Darren and I were friends all the way back in like 2009, 10. We had a lot of the same friends. We ran in the same circles. Mm-hmm. Uh, Darren started speaking at my events in 2014. We're going on now seven or eight years of this kind of pretty, pretty thick business relationship. Pretty a lot, of, a lot of fun we've had. But in 2008, 9, 10, the overall value of homes in California in some cases had dropped by 35% over about a three-year period. So don't freak out to see that there's going to be some decreasing home values in some of these gateway markets where people left and fled because of COVID and now continue to be affordability problems. And when you have higher rising interest rates, that continues to exacerbate the affordability problem. So even without COVID, regardless of policy, whether it's a red or blue area, it doesn't really matter. When prices get so expensive, people can't afford to live there. They're going to move. Period. The end. Okay. So... Uh, not really surprising there, especially based on the fact that they appreciated so much uh, over the last 10 years or so. But again, the boom-bust markets are going to be most susceptible to drops, which is typically along the coastlines and in the Sunbelt areas uh, is going to be most susceptible to drops in the market because people flood, they run there, they have extra cash, disposable cash, they want to buy a second home, a third home, they do it. But guys, remember, this is all about cash flow. That's 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 why we buy apartments, right? So cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. What I love about this map, Darren, is, is that the primary areas that I invest in, the Midwest and the Southeast, is very green, meaning yeah. we're <laughs> home price appreciation. It might be at a very much slower rate, uh, but at least they're going to hold their value. Um, and hopefully they hold their jobs as well, which means there's still going to be demand for not only single family homes, rentals, but also for apartments as well. So beautiful map there for us to look at. And so Darren, I'm curious, you know, nobody has a crystal ball, but if it looks anything like a couple slides ago, what, what does this whole thing look like two or three years from now? Like we're in a recession, there's more unemployment, businesses are not growing as fast. We still have probably more demand than supply, right? In most cases, what are some of the other things we look at that are coming? I mean, we'll have to talk about this on another podcast, but defaults, right? Defaults could add more supply. So what are some things that we maybe talk about in the next podcast, the next show to talk about what else, how else this could form up two years from now, three years from now? Yeah, I think this, you know, the, the housing market is cyclical. It's, uh, the, the cycle has been a little bit disrupted and extended probably farther than it's natu- it naturally should have this time. But it's a, it's a cycle. And if you're prepared for it, I don't want to gloss over it too much, but it is an, a, actually an opportunity. And it's something that you can take advantage of to a certain extent, potentially. 
as as an investor. And if and especially if you're an investor for the long term, it's not going to throw you off the rails. But that said, I think the opportunity comes with a rise in distress discount discounted opportunities potentially during the down cycle. And then an opportunity to see the upside on on the back end as the as the market recovers. So I think that's the opportunity we're leading into. You know, a lot of people have talked about that, anticipated a down cycle, even over the last, I would say, five five years, ever since maybe I've known you, people have been saying, okay, when is the next one coming? And I've never seen it as, it's pretty clear that it's coming. I don't have a crystal ball. Things could change, especially government intervention is the big wild card that could change things. But it's more clear than it's been in the last 10 years that I've known you that we are headed into a down cycle. And so it's it's not probably, doesn't look like it's going to be as dramatic of a down cycle as 2008, but that it will mean that you need to adjust some things, but there's going to be some opportunities for benefiting uh, from, from the down cycle uh, in the, in the real estate market. Because, you know, people are still, people are still going to want a place to live. (laughs) People still want to live indoors. And so that's going to to carry things through. No doubt. I had a, a, a mentor of mine who over 20 years ago, uh, when I was more in the financial markets before I got into real estate and I was uh, doing financial planning and a lot of mutual funds and life insurance and IRAs and estate planning. He said, look, the market is kind of like walking up a set of stairs while you're slinging a yo-yo. Right. So you remember when we were kids, Darren, we played with yo-yos. Mm-hmm. Don't play with yo-yos <laughs> but yo-yos, for those of you that don't remember, right? The little string on it, and you would sling it down and it would hit the bottom and it would snap back up. So if you're walking up a set of stairs, that that is just an, an analogy for the long term. The long term is the set of stairs. You're generally walking up the stairs, and it's a slow, easy sort of step up, step up, step up. While as you go up and down the stairs, you're slinging a yo-yo, that yo-yo goes up and down more violently, more fastly, up, down, up, down. But over the long haul, as Darren mentioned, if you're a long-term investor, you're still going to be up the stairs 5, 10, 15, 30 years from now. So that's really the message here. We're dealing with the yo-yo at the moment where the market's going up and down and it seems to be more violent and there's more indicators of a recession, more indicators of higher unemployment, less growth in the real estate market, possibly some more foreclosures coming and less growth or maybe even some negative growth in housing prices. That's the yo-yo just going down, right? But the yo-yo has been up for almost 10 years, right? So that's okay. The question is, is now going forward, as some opportunity pops up, there might be some more backlog of foreclosures. You can use the auction.com platform to be bidding on those types of properties when they do wake their way, make their way through the foreclosure snake. Um, those will be listed at places like auction.com. You can take advantage of those as well with the idea of buying for the long haul, right? I bought a lot of apartment buildings lately from guys that are in their 70s and 80s. And trust me, they've owned for the long haul and they're walking away with a significant amount of profit and equity because they own for the long haul. So I think that's the message here. Uh, Darren, I'd love it to have you come back as soon as possible. We'll talk about some of the foreclosure activity that's growing, um, some of the COVID defaults and redefaults that are happening and what that might look like down the road as well. So thanks a lot again for carving out some time for us today on Accelerated Investor. Good to be here. Thanks, Josh. 
You were just listening to the Accelerated Investor Podcast with Josh Cantwell. If you enjoyed this episode and learned something new, help us build the AI community by leaving a review and five-star rating on our iTunes podcast channel. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss another episode. To see passive investing opportunities, visit freelandventures.com slash passive. To start your journey toward the lifestyle you've always dreamed of with multifamily apartments, apply for one-on-one -on -one coaching with Josh at www.joshcantwellcoaching.com. <laughs>